Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rare Petro Podcast. This, I know it's been a little bit, but this is another interview, another segment for the Industry Leader Spotlight Series. No, we haven't forgotten about it, but we've got plenty of other people lined up trying to get the experts and their testimonials to you. So maybe you can just learn a little bit of that secret sauce that got them to success. But that's enough about that. That's only for those of you who don't know. So you'll probably want to watch this on YouTube. You can also just listen to the podcast. But however you listen to it, you will surely want to subscribe. We've got great information coming ahead. But I've talked long enough. I'd like to turn it over to our guest today, David McNeil. Hey, Tavis, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Glad to have you. Thank you. David McNeil is a founder and the president and CEO of Wellbore Integrity Solutions. He has more than 29 years of professional experience in the oil and gas industry. Prior to founding WIS, David served as president and CEO of Logan International. He has also served as COO for a private equity-backed R&D company in Houston, vice president for NOV Downhole, and EHO director for Grant Prideco and Teleserve, and has held many leadership positions in several different countries for Schlumberger. And I got to say, I'm excited to get into this interview because I have no idea how you found the time to squeeze all of that in. <laughs> it's, been a, uh, it's been an interesting 30 years. Oh, I'm excited to hear about it. So first things first, we ask everybody, I'll put the company aside for a second. Tell us a little bit about you. How'd you get into the industry? Were you born into it? Did you find it along the way? What got you started? No, you know what? I, I, uh, I was not born into it. Um, I actually grew up on the east coast of Canada in, uh, in Nova Scotia in a, in a pretty small town about two hours outside of Halifax. Um, you know, I had, uh, I'm the youngest of uh, six kids and there's, there's four boys in the family. And, and so my older brothers, uh, one's a banker, one's a geological engineer and the other guy's a mining, um, uh, engineer. So they, uh, they all said, uh, they said, you need to get into the oil and gas business so that we can complete the, uh, the, the trio. So we got a, we got a banker that can fund mining and oil and gas and an engineer that can, uh, can figure out how to keep us out of trouble. So, so that was, uh, it was kind of their guidance, um, to, uh, to go that route. And at the same time, how, um, the uh, Hibernia project was just in the infancy stage of planning, uh, the big project off of Newfoundland. So, you know, being young and, and thinking, well, you know, if I, if I manage to get onto that project, uh, we can probably make a lot of money. So, uh, like everything else, it all comes down to uh, where you think you can make your living in, in this world. And, and that was, uh, that's kind of how I, uh, started in the oil industry, at least was, uh, was, uh, focusing on, on that, uh, it's really cool and kind of even wholesome how you got started just because your brothers kind of pushed you towards it. I'm glad yeah. it's worked out for you. But yeah. where in that process of studying, learning, working, do you feel like you transitioned from just a cog in the machine at some company to an industry leader, or someone calling the shots? I don't know exactly when you go from one to the other. I think, you know, along my career, and I think most people will tell you this, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not... Um, I'm not shy about asking questions and about learning new, new things. Um, you know, sometimes even at the detriment of myself and, and maybe looking like, uh, you know, I, I was never shy. If I didn't know something, I would ask somebody that I knew, you know, was a, was an expert in that, uh, in that field. So, so, I mean, it's this kind of period of constant learning, um, 
and and pushing you know what what you know and outside of the boundaries of what you're doing so i was you know always very curious when i was on the rig about other aspects of you know other parts of the business uh, you know always you know typically around the drilling and and uh, and completion side but uh, you know so so eventually you just go through your career and and uh, you know i i guess i had a um uh, a knack for being able to organize and, and plan. And, uh, you know, as you go through these big upturns and downturns in the oil industry, that typically is, is, is when the oil services business, which I'm, I'm in, you know, it's when the management uh, looks and says, okay, who's the next wave of people to step up. So, you know, that's, that's kind of when I was in Schlumberger moving out of that field position Really, you know, you take a step back from a financial standpoint when you go from the field to the office. But but I always enjoyed kind of being part of the the overall uh, discussions around the business and how to how to make uh, make the business move forward. And and you know, I think I've got a fairly significant entrepreneurial kind of spirit, and and you know, that's certainly something that you can uh, you can expand on in the oil industry. Oh, definitely. I mean, like you said, it's certainly a little bit easier to look inexperienced and maybe foolish early on in the career. Get yeah. those questions out of the way and build that foundation. Listen, I still ask stupid questions. There's no <laughs> just because I'm old doesn't mean I stop asking stupid questions. But uh, but every now and then I'll ask a good one. So so that's okay. Yeah, that those are the ones we live for. But yeah, I feel like at right. this point we've walked it through the timeline of your life to up about now, and I want to learn just a little bit more about well. Wellbore Integrity Solutions. I know yep. the proof is in the pudding, the business is in the name, but what specifically do you guys work on? Right. So, so uh, WIS, as we call it, the Wellbore Integrity Solutions is a bit of a, a mouthful. So we, uh, we call it WIS internally. And, and um, this, so this business was uh, essentially what the old Smith Services business was. So we, um, having worked in Schlumberger for a long time prior to Schlumberger acquiring Smith back in 2010, I knew an awful lot of the people, the management that are, you know, inside of Schlumberger. Uh, going to Logan International, which was, you know, the largest fishing manufacturing company, um, fishing tools, right, downhole fishing tools. Um, I got to see every one of the the fishing companies out there globally and where their activities were. And, you know, it, it, it you could tell that, that, you know, the Smith services business under Schlumberger was just not core to them. So, you know, we put together after, um, uh, after Logan, I decided, you know, uh, I really wanted to, to, to focus on this well integrity theme that buying a global business, like getting into a company that had, a global footprint that you could really expand on and and being familiar with the the fishing intervention side of the business which is key to wellbore integrity um you know that's where we started to put the deal together so so we put the deal together to buy the three businesses out of Schlumberger, uh, which was the fishing and remedial business drill co which is inspection machine shops manufacturing and thomas tools which is the um, the rentals business now, you know, that's very historic companies like, you know, these companies have been around since the 50s and 60s. Um, 
you know, extremely well-known brands, uh, very proud to be the owner of, of those businesses. But, you know, we want to move it from where it was under Schlumberger into something that's more specific and really much more focused around, you know, products and services in the well integrity space. So, so that's, that's really what we do. Um, we look at wells from the planning stage right through to the end of life in terms of what can we do to influence the well integrity. And we're very much, you know, not to belabor the point, but from, from our standpoint, well integrity is keeping everything that's supposed to be inside an oil and gas well inside and everything that's outside of that outside, right? <laughs> so we're all about the barriers in between. That's, yep. that's really where we're trying to focus our attention. It's cool that you keep things simple, but for those of you listening who maybe own a well, I wouldn't be surprised if Wellbore Integrity Solutions, WIS, could help you out. So I'll be sure to link their website below so you can find their services and definitely the ways they can help you there. But for the next question, kind of moving towards current events. We started this series back off in a downturn, so the questions have kind of changed a little bit. Now it's, the industry is cyclical, right? Pretty vaguely characterized by booms and busts. Sort of where in that timeline, where in that cycle do you see the industry today? You know, I, I've been through several of these things now. Um, you know, on when I joined the industry back in the 80s, I was dumb enough to not realize that that was, you know, a pretty bad time in the in the industry, but I had a job and I was making money, so I didn't, I didn't really realize how bad the 80s were, but I mean, there's been several of these ups and downs since then. You know, this one is a little different because it's been driven by, you know, it's been driven by overproduction and some, obviously, the global pandemic. Um, so it, it has a little different characteristics, although they all have, you know, similar characteristics. I, I think that we are, uh, we're certainly off the bottom. I think the bottom of this cycle was in Q3 and, and Q4. I think, um, I think we're coming back up. I, I, I guess the... The question is really around, you know, how quickly and how sustainably it comes back. Um, capital discipline by the E&P companies, especially in North America, which is really much needed uh, from a production standpoint. I, I, anybody that's been around me or you ask anybody that knows me, I've been talking for years that the, the shale boom was producing an awful lot of uneconomical uh, oil. Right, and and so that overproduction at no free cash flow is is really what drove a lot of the shale fracking ENP companies to really step back, and and now everybody's focused on free cash flow, which is really going to, I think it's going to help the the overall industry with a little more sustainable production rates rather than just everybody you know drill like mad, produce like mad, hope that you make enough money to pay for it all in the end, right? Which uh, which is really where we were back in 2014. So sort of follow-up question to that would be, sure, we've got different benchmarks, like you said. It's not just drill crazy, who can produce the yeah. most oil. We've got other smarter guidelines. Do you think we are maybe still doomed to repeat our mistakes? Because, what, it's July 1st. OPEC, they're reevaluating their production cuts today. I mean, when things get really good, say we get above $100 a barrel, is everyone mm -hmm. going to open the taps and flood the market again? Or have we learned? Um, the one thing I can assure you is that uh, we haven't learned the um, <laughs> the uh, and 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 the uh, there, there's always new money looking for places to invest, right? And 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 
while I think that the U.S. Uh, capital markets are much more disciplined and they're going to be a little more uh, uh, a little more focused on return rates, you know, if oil prices go over uh, $100 and, and oil companies are returning uh, extremely high free cash flows, the, the, you, you can't help but see another flood of, of capital coming into the, uh, into the space. I think the environmental, you know, push is going to really, it should help curtail some of that be just because of the activist investors that are, you know, basically saying, listen, I'm not going to invest if, if your fund has oil and gas. So, so I think that's going to eliminate some of the, the bigger PE firms or the bigger, um, banks from dealing in oil and gas, which may help kind of keep that capital flow from just flooding into the market. But, you know, it, it's, uh, I'd like to say that, that it's not going to come and go again, but, you know, really, if you look at where we've been over the last 20 years, the cycles are not only um, getting larger, but they're, you know, the, the swings from highs to lows are getting bigger. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that we have, I think we definitely are on the verge of a, uh, a strong up cycle, but, um, uh, but how long it lasts and, and how disciplined the industry is, that that's, remains to be seen. Dave, only time will tell. <laughs> yeah. But you did mention that around Q3, Q4, that's where you felt things got really bad. How was WIS affected? Did you have to change any business practices at all? I mean, how'd you guys stay afloat, get oh. through the worst of the worst? Well, so, so, uh, you know, we, um, we finalized this transaction. We, we had our first closing, uh, December 31st of 2019. So, so I had all of two good months, um, before we went into, uh, the COVID, um, uh, pandemic. So, so, you know, I always joke that we won an award for the, the, the best, you know, cross-border transaction of the year. And, uh, and I think I'm still waiting for my award to show up in the mail for the worst <laughs> timing, uh, award. So, um, you know, I, I think that we obviously did like everybody else did. We had to, to scale back. We had to pull, you know, we had to, uh, obviously reduce our overhead or, our, our, um, our head count, but, you know, we had the added issue of, we're trying to stand up a brand new business in 30 countries around the world. So while everybody else is cutting and, and slashing, you know, I'm hiring uh, IT people and back office and HR people and, and everything you need to run a global, uh, global business. So, so it's certainly been a challenge um, for, for us. Um, you know, I think it's accelerated some of the projects that we've had specifically around well abandonments, some of the things that we've, we were working on in the background, you know, it, it's moved them up in the queue for us so that we can take advantage of, of what is, you know, a real push for, for decommissioning and plug and abandonment, to, you know, even now in North America, which has really been lagging in, in that space. So, you know, other than just, you know, doing everything you can to, for cash flow, it's, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, just accelerating some of our technology development and release out into the market's been, been where we focused. Hey, you're moving forward. You're looking to embrace a yeah. transition. And speaking of transitions, <laughs> an energy transition. 
Yeah. It's become a very hot topic these days. I can't probably log on to any news site without seeing some headline pertaining to it. So as we move forward, what do you think is going to come out of this transition? And you can define the timeline yourself. And how is it going to affect WIS? So, I mean, I think we're in a pretty good position because we're, we're focused on, you know, how we're going to uh, deal with these wells at the end of life, uh, you know, taking wells, um, you know, offline that potentially are leaking. So from an environmental standpoint, I always said that, you know, we're doing our part to, to, to really impact the, the oil and gas industry and make sure that we're helping the P companies be good stewards of the environment, right? So, so we're going in there, if there's an issue that they have, we go in and help them fix it. And at the end of the life of a well, we dispose of it in a manner where we know it's not gonna come back and haunt us down the road. Um, so, you know, I think that, that we're pretty well positioned for that, but you know, I, I would, I, I caution younger people around this idea of, you know, this or that. Uh, we have 7 billion plus people in the world. It's not this or that, it's all of it, right? We need all of the transition to, to renewables that we can get, but we're still going to, to need energy from other sources that, that, you know, over a time period, that's, it's much longer than what's forecast or what people are talking about. So, so I think that, that this idea that we just all of a sudden stop what we're doing in the next 10 years and then fossil fuels are going away, uh, I think is an unrealistic thing. And I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's where we should be focused on. I think we should be focused on what can we do to influence that transition in the most uh, effective way we can? I mean, natural gas, obviously, replacing coal is a huge uh, benefit to the environment. You know, I think there's other, there's other technologies that are out there that would, uh, would really help. And I know the big thing, something I've been very passionate about for the last 20 years is, can we convert horizontal wells to geothermal? And it's not easy. It's not something that's straightforward. I think everybody talks about it. Um, I think that there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of, uh, of research. But if you can take these shale frack wells and convert them to geothermal at the end of the life, you take what is an asset that's already in the ground uh, that's a liability at the end of its life and turn it into a transition, right? So, so that is a, 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 that's the absolute definition of energy transition, taking it from, you know, gas shale fracking to geothermal. It, it's, um, it's a very, um, it's an interesting concept. Um, and, and I think one that everybody is, is talking about, but, you know, there's a lot of work to do to get there. For the next question, you are clearly very experienced. If anyone listened to the introduction of this show or even gazes on your LinkedIn profile, they know you've been around and worked a bunch of different positions. But as you've been working, I guess this is more of a lighthearted question, what's your favorite place in the world? Uh, where would you like to work and what do you like most about being in this industry? So, you know, it, it, it's funny. I think you, my wife and I would probably have different opinions about the, our favorite places. Um, you know, I worked in West Africa and, and, and Southern Africa, 
we we had a chance to live in South Africa in uh, in a place just up north of um, of Durban called Umsalunga Rocks. Absolutely beautiful part of the world. We loved it. Uh, we loved it there. Our kids loved it there. Um, you know, we 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 lived in Asia in Kuala Lumpur. Um, had a fantastic time. Uh, obviously, Asia is a beautiful part of uh, beautiful part of the world, and 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 you know, fairly accessible to a lot of um, beaches and resorts from uh, from where we lived. So, uh, you know, from a lifestyle standpoint, I think those two places were were two of our favorites. From a business standpoint, you know, I got to say, I, I worked in Russia. Uh, I was the engineering manager for for the uh, Anadryl D&M group in Schlumberger. And, uh, and I got a chance to see all of Russia. I mean, I went to places that even most Russians have never been to. Um, and, and from a job satisfaction standpoint, you know, this was early on when, you know, we were going in and, and taking kind of technologies we took for granted in North America and applying them into the Russian market and taking wells that you know would take them six months to drill, and we were doing them in 21 days. Uh, so, so from a job satisfaction standpoint, you could, you know, you really move the needle uh, significantly when when I was there. So, you know, I would have to say my time in Russia has been was was probably from a from a business standpoint one of the most satisfactory that that I've had. That's something we see from a lot of the people we interview. Just establishing a greater energy security for more people. I mean. That's got to be fulfilling. Yes, absolutely. And then as we bring this podcast to a close, the final question, we've got some people listening to it, range of backgrounds, but for those students, maybe younger people who are tuning in, looking to gain just your nuggets of wisdom and really those true pieces of information, what is some of the best advice that you can pass on to someone starting out their career in the energy industry? You know, it's... um... It's an interesting question. I think you would ask before as well, you know, why I like the industry. I think it kind of goes to the same advice, right? It's, um, you know, when I look at my brothers and I look at other parts of, you know, business around the world, um, you know, the oil and gas industry provides a pretty dynamic, especially the oil and gas services side of the business. It's, it's an extremely dynamic business. And, and so, you know, things change day to day. Now that's not everybody's cup of tea, but, um, but you're not going to be bored, right? That's the, uh, that's the one thing I would say about the oil services business is that it, it, it provides a, you know, every day is a learning opportunity and, uh, and some of the learnings are not hard or not easy, but, uh, but, you know, we, we, we live through them uh, and we become better for it. So, um, you know, that's for me, you know, in the oil industry, that is, um, uh, that's why I love the industry. It, you know, it's frustrating some days, but it's extremely rewarding in other, and it's provided me an opportunity. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid that grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia. I've lived in five continents around the world, um, you know, and reached some, a pretty significant uh, point in my career. So, you know, it's, it's provided me a, a fantastic uh, 30 years. I think from an advice standpoint, you know, I, I would, I would just tell people not, especially younger people in the industry, you got to tune out some of the noise around the fact that somehow we're an evil empire that, that the oil industry or the, you know, the, the, this part of the business is somehow destroying the world. You know, I can remember as a kid, uh, 
you know, discussions that if the world ever got the 4 billion people, there'd be mass starvation and, and the whole place would be falling apart. And, and I think the fact that we're at 7 billion and it's not is really attributable to what we've been able to accomplish in terms of, of energy and energy transfer and, and, um, and, and food security and, and a lot of things that are associated with what we do. So, so don't be, um, I mean, be proud of the industry that you're in because it's, it, it is not all evil like you hear on, um, you know, on, on the news every night. So, you know, and I think that take, you know, you're not gonna solve the world's problems today, right? But, you know, maybe in 20 years time, you're the guy or the, or the lady that has the bright idea of how to do something significant that does really impact the environment. You know, uh, I, heard, uh, I heard a comment from a young lady who was talking about, well, you know, with global climate change, I just feel like there's nothing I can do. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, uh, somebody that's 20 that, that's, uh, that's young, it's like, well, yeah, you're not going to change the world, right? Uh, but you get up every day, you get into an industry and you make an impact in your small part of, of the world. And, and maybe in 20 years time, that small part of the world grows into the whole world, right? It doesn't happen overnight. You have to, you have to kind of just chip away, chip away, chip away. And, and then 30 years later, you look back and think, well, you know, we did okay. And for those of you young professionals listening, that is powerful advice. Take that tart, wake up, be proud and take it day by day. But I believe that brings us to the end of this interview. Is there anything else you'd like to say about industry or even WIS before we close out? So, so I think we're, we're in for a, a really aggressive growth spurt and, and some real challenges in terms of, of people um, and equipment. Um, so, you know, we're just going to have to, uh, we're going to have to get through this next, uh, this next couple of years. But again, the, the oil industry is a dynamic place, so, so it'll be exciting one way or another. Hey, you heard it from the professionals here, folks, so <laughs> be sure to subscribe so that you can get more information as we bring other people in. And if you own a well, again, I will link WIS's information because if you own a well, they can help you. But that is the end of this episode. Thank you once again for tuning in, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.